sometimes when I'm full of so much self-doubt and experience super bad anxiety and mental health issues, you know, I go to somewhere that I know will provide me peace, which is typically, you know, in the trees. And suddenly I'm instantly at peace. Uh, it has never failed me to be in nature and to not feel like everything just comes back to me at once. Peace and light, y'all. You are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things regarding self-development and bettering your spirit, but from the homie perspective, somebody who's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey y'all, it's your girl Maria, the Spiritual Homegirl, and we are back with another episode of the Spiritual Homegirl podcast. Now before we get started, I just want to give you all a quick note of gratitude per usual for listening to the podcast out of the tens and thousands of podcasts that are out there in podcast land. You choose to leave me your ears for about an hour or so once a week, and I really appreciate that. Now this episode, I'm really excited to present someone to you, and this is um, a first for um, the Spiritual Homegirl podcast, we're actually going to be discussing environmental issues and activism with Christy from Brown Girl Green. Now, it really excites me because I came across her a few months ago, and I noticed that she stood out because she is a woman of color, um, and she'll go into her journey a little later on in the interview, but she's a woman of color, and I don't really see a lot of women of color or people in color um you know, speaking out about environmental issues and education awareness. And and when I actually started to interact with Christy, I realized that her passion is very strong for what she does. When you guys listen to this interview, I hope you guys are able to hear what I heard because you have a, a young woman who has always been about a cause. And once she found her home cause, it was just full steam ahead. Now, what's interesting about this is that um, a side of activism that I don't think we see enough of is the transparency of the burnout of what can come from when you're fighting from someone's um, someone's issues or issues you identify with that can help the greater good, how taxing emotionally, mentally, and spiritually that can be. So Christy actually goes a little deeper as to her own moments of burnout and how self-care is a really important part of her journey. She also has um, 30 Days of Brown Girl Green coming up where it's going to be all about her platform with respect to creating a safe space for um, people of color, women of color, and just being more environmentally um, aware of, what, of what's going on. I, think we don't, I don't think we all really know what's going on with the environment. I think it's either a conspiracy theory um, regarding like HARP and things like that, but I'm not sure if we all really are. I know I can speak for myself for sure when I say I am not as aware on certain issues environmentally and for those who may be like me that may know a little something but may not know a lot this is going to be a really good um, episode for you guys to get um, on the path to being more informed so with that being said check it out peace y'all i'm speaking with chrissy drutman of brown girl green how are you great thank you all right so let's just jump right into it who who is chrissy so Christy is a 22-year-old Filipina-American environmentalist who hosts her own show called Brown Girl Green. And uh, I feel so weird talking in the third person, but she's also <laughs> a passionate advocate for self-care, for spiritual healing, 
and for taking care of our environment, taking care of each other, especially in our current political climate and just changing natural resources on the earth today. Okay, so where did you get the idea um, of Brown Girl Green? Like, what was going on in your life to where you just had this aha moment and you said, hey, this is something I could actually do? Oh, yeah. So I've been in environmental activism for almost four years now and just doing student youth activism. I was a student at UC Berkeley, Go Bears. I graduated in December, but when I was a freshman till pretty much senior year, like all of college, I was really involved in environmental activist spaces. And when I was first getting into it, I was like, okay, this seems really cool, like caring about the planet, um, going against, you know, extractive industries that are like polluting and destroying communities. And I was like, this is great. So I kind of dove right in, like I went all into activism. And by my sophomore year of college, I was like skipping classes, basically to like go to protests and demonstrations and was just really not losing myself, but getting really caught up in it um, to the point where my mental health uh, was really bad my second year of college to where I felt burnt out. And I wasn't doing well in school. And I was like, my parents were really worried about me. And I would, I just didn't see myself in this movement. And I was like, why is that? Like, why is that? And I felt like for a long time, for the first two years, when I first started uh, getting involved, I realized like, you know, I don't see myself in this work. And a lot of times when I would even express my boundaries to some of my like, white colleagues, which the environmental movement is largely white, largely male. Um, there are there are women, but it's mainly white women too, uh, upper middle class people. And, you know, even when I would express to them, you know, this is exceeding my boundaries, I can't really handle this work. Uh, people just didn't really get it. Like they didn't really see me for me and they didn't respect that. And like, I just felt like there was no recognition of like the kind of labor that women of color in particular put into this kind of work because a lot of us um including myself I don't want to speak for all women of color because I'm I don't do that but from my own experience like I was invited to like be on panels I was invited to speak in front of hundreds like sometimes thousands of people to like speak about environmental issues and I was like, also, like, what's that about? You know, I know I'm a great public speaker, but it's like, okay, so you can, like, respect me enough to put me in all these spaces because it looks really good. But when it comes to, like, you know, me in this movement, do you really see me? And I was like, no, they don't really see me as, like, this young Filipino-American girl who's just like, oh, I'm going to be a martyr for the cause. And I was like, wait, like, this just doesn't seem right to me. And so I talked to my other friends who identify as like people of color who do environmental activism. And they're like, yeah, like the environmental movement is like super white, super elitist, super inaccessible to low income communities and communities of color. And we just got frustrated. So we formed our own group on campus called the Students of Color Environmental Collective. And we decided that we wanted to make an activist not even just an activist space, but a healing space for students of color who 
whether or not they've engaged in environmental activism or not, um, just people of color who study environmental science have a passion for environmental advocacy. Um, to have a space for healing and resources and community with other people of color, um, to like vent about white environmentalism and that, you know, a lot of these spaces feel toxic and don't really like make us feel like we could actually be a part of this movement because, you know, at least for me growing up as like, you know, Filipino American, yeah, I'm mixed race and I grew up in a pretty like progressive household considering, um, you know, there's still expectations for me to like have a high paying job or to like, you know, go on a straight tracked path of like being a doctor or a lawyer. Like, you know, luckily I have really supportive parents, but I mean, that was really ingrained in me for most of my life. So it's like getting an environmental activism, a lot of us that come from communities that are white and privileged, um, you know, our families don't necessarily understand, so we don't really have that support system like some of our white upper and middle class friends do that are in the movement. And so, yeah, we just kind of got frustrated, formed this group. Um, it led to us even protesting our like university administration to tell them they need to change the curriculum about like how environmental studies is being taught because currently a lot of environmental studies are like praising people like John Muir and Gifford Pinchot who are these like old white men who pretty much supported like indigenous genocide and like really like just were not necessarily like promoting the principles or like symbiotic relationships that like people of color have had with the land for thousands of years. They kind of just came in there and kind of just were just like, I'm going to claim this movement for myself. And, you know, that, you know, there's a lot of theories about why environmentalism is so white, but like it kind of gets rooted in a lot of these conservationists like John Muir, um, who just kind of came in and became the face of like what it means to be a modern day environmentalist. So, after being a part of this group, after like we protested, we actually like made the administration respond and like we saw a lot of changes happening with that. I got invited as a speaker to this awesome conference that happens every year in the Bay Area called the People of the Global Majority in the Outdoors, Nature and Environment Conference. And I basically led like these mindfulness exercises, like breathing exercises to both like set the intention of the space and to close off the space. And while I was at the conference, I just met all these amazing, you know, mentors and leaders in the environmental movement that identify as people of color. And I was like, wow, like you all are so dope. Like, why isn't anyone talking about the work you're doing? Like, why are we highlighting all these like white environmental leaders and white, white based groups? Like we should be highlighting your work and the stuff that you're doing, and just, yeah, and so I met some people there, and they're like, you know what, you seem like a great storyteller, like, I feel like you should, like, start something on your own about this, because I was venting to them, I was like, I want to tell these stories, and they're like, you should do that, and so I looked into it, and I was like, you know what, I should start a podcast um, related to this, to talk about diversity in the environmental movement, and, like, why it's lacking, how we can change it, et cetera. And so last summer, 
I just kind of came up with the name thinking, you know, I'm a brown girl. I care about the environment. Um, the environmental movement, super white, you know, kind of threw around a lot of names and eventually just landed on Brown Girl Green uh, just because I, I really wanted to emphasize my identity, uh, but also my passion for sustainability and, you know, being connected to the earth and just like respecting our relationship with it and our obligation uh, as a society and as humanity to really like take care of one another as we're going to be seeing a lot of scary stuff happen within like the next hundred years. So that was pretty much how I came up with the name. And since then, you know, that was back in July and now we're, you know, coming up on June and I'm about to launch this summer. So it's been a long process, a long journey, but now I'm interviewing um, top leaders and advocates in the environmental movement about how they're working to address diversity and inclusion, both in the workplace and in the movement at large. And yeah, like what are some challenges and opportunities we have to include people that don't, maybe don't really identify as environmentalists or don't really see like why they should even care about it um, to get involved and hear other stories and other narratives about what that could look like in the future. So we can get more people to join our movement and to um, want to, you know, join together and make a real change happen. Wow, that's one hell of a uh, of a story. Um, and you're I'm a, you're from the Bay, right? No, I actually I grew up in a super conservative hometown in Southern California, and oh, wow. just moved up to Berkeley for school. Wow. So I know with UC Berkeley, anybody that has a, a, even a slight inkling of like history, American history, knows that UC Berkeley and just the Bay Area in general are, it's definitely always been a hub for activism, especially youth mm-hmm. activism. So mm-hmm. for those who um, may not have been fortunate to be able to be able to exercise <laughs> their voice, like, what is that like growing up? Or that, well, not, well, I mean, essentially you are growing up, you know, adult wise into you know, yeah. into, into activism, like, how did you find your voice and you were like, yo, this is it, like, I'm confident to actually speak up about these issues? Oh, man, it's, it's been a struggle, like, even now, like, I mean, that's kind of why, like, I started Brown Girl Green to, like, build my confidence to have a voice, to be completely honest with you. I feel like, I feel like, you know, in high school, when like before I moved to the Bay Area and really got into real activism, when I was in high school, I was, you know, a staunch advocate for like things like water rights um, in, you know, West Africa, even though I was like so ignorant, had no idea. I was talking out of my ass, to be honest. Um, but I was so passionate. Like I w- I've just always been this person where like I find something that like really grinds my gears or makes my heart like jump and I'm like, so fixated on it I'm like okay this is my thing I need to be about it I need to live it I need to breathe it and I've just like had these different phases in my life and it kind of started in high school when I was like getting into water rights but then I was like okay this still doesn't really fit with like where I'm at and so like I think what actually happened and it was just a process over time because like I mentioned earlier 
activism, like doing just like blind activism. Not bl I don't like to use ableist, like blind or whatever, but just like being kind of brainwashed in a way to just being like, okay, this is the cause now that I'm attached to. I need to dedicate my whole life to it. Like forget self-care, forget anything. Like forget my identity. Like now my identity is the movement. Um, I think there was a year, basically after I was, I burnt out, I spent a year just kind of taking a step back and being like, okay, who am I though in this? Like, why does this matter to me? And it actually kind of started on Tinder, ironically, um, where I went on Tinder as a dating app at first. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to like date people or meet people or whatever. Um, but then I got bored of it really quick because I get bored of things real quick. And I was like, how can I use this to kind of talk about climate change <laughs> and talk about <laughs> activism? Because I kind of missed activism because I was like, okay, I feel hella burnt out. Like, I'm done with activism. But I'm like, I was in D.C. for a summer doing an internship. And I just got hella bored. I, like, missed activism. But I was like, I don't miss, like, the burning out, being protesting, like, all that kind of activism. I want to find a new type of activism. So I went on Tinder. I was like, how can I bring activism to Tinder? And basically, I was like, I'm going to take this question. Like, what do you think is the solution to climate change? And I was just curious as like a sociology experiment. I took the question, you know, what do you think is the solution to climate change? And I kid you not, I copied and pasted that message and sent it to like 200 matches or something like that. <laughs> Don't. Just to just to see what would happen, and I I thought guys were definitely gonna message me some stupid stuff like, oh you know like you're so hot like global warming or whatever the hell you know, yeah. but guys were actually sending me real messages like some guys would send me paragraphs about like, I support nuclear energy for this or some guys were like oh no renewable energy like solar and wind and geothermal. And then some guys were like, no, like, I have family in, like, the coal and mining industry, like, you know, like, how are you going to actually make that happen? Like, it's not realistic to go to 100% renewable energy right away. And, and, like, I was just shocked. Like, these people were, like, conservative, like, their political beliefs and just, like, their social beliefs and even their education and knowledge on the issue just kind of spewed out. Like, it was dripping with just, like, so much diversity on this app and sometimes people don't remember that tinder is a social media app like it really is it's a form of social media it's a way in which people are starting to interact with each other um whether it's putting a pickup line or they're actually like gonna go meet up or hook up or whatever the heck people use these things for these days and i was just amazed i was like wow how can i take this up a notch so that i was like okay i want to go on a date with some guy that i know probably is Republican and is against a lot of the stuff I'm talking about in Washington, D.C. So I, like, started to just, like, kind of find people. And I messaged them. Like, I definitely was like, hey, like, you know, would you be okay if we, like, met up and just, like, talked about this? Like, talked about climate change stuff. Because I was like, I need to, like, explore this more. This is interesting. And I actually went on a date with, like, this Republican guy who 
like we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, a lot of different politics. But when it came to like climate change and talking about solutions, like bipartisan solutions on how we could actually address it, like we ended up like debating, but it ended up being like an actually productive conversation where we're like, yeah, we could see the eye to eye on this issue. And that was just awesome. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is this is good stuff. Like social media, meeting strangers online at a like a large scale, like, whoa, there's some power in this. Like this is what the climate movement is not doing well enough at all. Like you see other social movements like Me Too or the movement for black lives, and they're like killing it on social media and they've used it as a powerful tool to like build relationships and these ecosystems of different people um, talking, debating, having discussions about these political issues. But like, you don't see that at all about climate change or environmental issues. And I think that's why it hasn't made it to mainstream media. So I was like, okay, I know this is weird and crazy, but I'm like, I wanna become like a social media person that's just really good at social media, but who cares a lot about climate change and like try to spread my messaging using my brand and my media to teach people because there's no one out there that I know of at least that's like really using social media in a really effective, strong way to be a storyteller that's like engaging people who have no idea what you're talking about. Like some people, for example, are like, yeah, climate change. I support that or like what, or they don't support it, but they're like, yeah, like we care about the planet, but you don't hear people who are like, yeah, I know the science about it, like thoroughly through and through. I can have a conversation with my Republican family member at Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, about like why we should have better climate policies, why we should be voting in politicians that actually know the science and are supporting funding for the science to really make the technological and scientific advancements we need as a as humanity to be combating this because it's happening hella quick like we're at 410 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and for listeners who don't know what that means you know normal levels are around like 350 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere so we have well surpassed that in humanity's history. And that means, you know, it's a changing planet. And although people like using like global warming, like not all parts of the world due to climate change are warming. There's some parts that are cooling. There's some parts that are warming. And so, you know, the state of emergency that people just are not collectively aware of is really alarming. And so I'm like, okay, well, what is everyone using that could actually make them pay attention to this crisis? And I'm like, social media. And so through all of that, that was like, bingo. Yes, that's my voice. That's where I see my activism being effective. That's where I see my skill set and my place in the movement as serving very well, because I think I know how to speak to a lot of different groups of people I think I know how to build a brand on social media or I'm learning how to build a brand on social media. Um, and just like, yeah, just learning how to like finesse the social media world to <laughs> really be putting out my messaging. So that's, that's where I found my voice. That's the journey on how I found it and 
now brown girl green has just been a manifestation of like that whole process you know what just out of curiosity when's your birthday june 30th it's next month i'm a cancer go figure mama earth go figure <laughs> cancer connected to the moon the mother and then you like mother earth okay you know the water sign, but we'll get into that in a little later, another episode. But I really enjoy your passion. Like, you really, I like, the whole time you're telling me your story, I can find a lot of parallels to my own, this life in general, any cause that I thought was dope and I wanted to spread the word about, I love that, that enthusiasm. Like, you can tell you really <laughs> and truly care about what you uh, want to accomplish with your activism. I mean, I ain't never heard of nobody ever using Tinder to get the message across. <laughs> Usually, you know, they try to get some other things accomplished. It they have nothing to do with Earth. It got to do with some other stuff. So it's really funny that you were like, hey, you know what? Look, I'm not really trying to date you here, but let's have a conversation. Are you down? And then you're actually able to do this, even if you don't see eye to eye. So I think that's really commendable, and that's very out of the box. I got to give you your yeah. props on that, Chrissy. That's kind of fly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so, you. Also, with – so it sounds to me like you – clearly you have been an activist you just needed a you just needed to have a cause to call home so once you got yeah. to uc berkeley you were like oh shit i'm home this is mm-hmm. it but then mm-hmm. you got a little too deep into the cause which i mean we all can burn out um anybody that wants to help you know change the world or even change themselves sometimes they can get involved in so many things next thing you know they're mm-hmm. overwhelmed and they're tired and sometimes mm-hmm. they have breakdowns and need retreats and breaks and things like mm-hmm. that so what were some things that you did self-care wise to get yourself back on track Mm. So pretty much like I spent a year out of activism where I just like kind of just stopped going to things. I was like, I need to just like get a good sleep schedule. Um, And I think what really helped me was just like prioritizing the spaces I really want to be a part of. I have a meditation practice and like that's only as of like this past year. So like that really helped me out. Um, and just like, I've gone in a massage, <laughs> so I, I like love massaging people, um, like for self-care ironically and like getting massages. Um, but even more deeper than that, I feel like doing this work, I, I am very vocal about my boundaries now, whereas I, I wasn't when I first started off. I was like, no, like I should feel guilty for saying no to things. I should, you know, go to every event, go to every protest, do all the things or else I'm not, I'm not real. I'm fake. Like I'm not a true fan or a true committed activist. And I'm like, no, that's not true. You know what, you know what really makes a true activist? Someone who's in it for the long term. Like I have so many friends who are like, oh yeah, like, you know, it's amazing you still stayed in it. Like I'm so burnt out after college. Like I'm you know, those were the good old days, you know, blah, 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 because they don't set boundaries, they don't say no, and they don't see themselves in it for the long term, they see it in the moment. Like, I'm trying to be an activist for my lifetime, and in order to do that, I need to be realistic um, about what my boundaries are, I need to prioritize spending time with people, like my family and my friends mean more than anything to me, because they've rescued me out of so many bouts of bad mental health states and like that that is what really makes me feel whole and fulfilled to keep doing this work not me just like mindlessly continuing to just like go to events and 
overexert myself. Sometimes the the matter or the state of affairs calls for that, but I mean, we're in such like an intense and scary time right now, but it's also full of hope if you are able to set your barriers on like what you need and like to not feel ashamed of stating that and making other people respect you for that. And I think that has allowed me to be like, yeah, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life because I see how it fits into like what matters to me. And I know when to step away from it if I need to. Well, that's a, that's a good point in terms of um, setting boundaries and being firm in that. So for those who are listening, who might need some help learning how to set boundaries, what are some tips that you would give them in order to kind of be more comfortable with that without feeling the guilt and feeling fake and what have Mm -hmm. you? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) what has helped me is practicing on close friends on saying no. Like, if there's a situation where I'm like, oh, God, can I really, like, say no? Um, I still rely on, like, maybe even writing (laughs) out the email or the text message and, like, sending it to my friends for review to be like, is this okay? So, I mean, I still rely on, like, external validation from, like, friends and even family members, sometimes too much, where I'm like, is it really okay that I'm saying no to this? Um, but the moments where like, I don't need anyone's approval, um, and I kind of do it for myself, the best, the best way that I've been able to master it is just being like, okay, if you do this one thing, like, what's the number of things that that's actually going to like help improve, like in your situation, like to move you forward. And if like your list is less than five, then you really don't need to be doing that. Like, you really don't need to be prioritizing that and overexerting yourself. Like if you feel too tired to go to an event or to send, you know, those extra emails or to make that extra phone call, like, yeah, some people could be like, oh, that's what really counts to be successful or like to really like make an impact. And in some situations, yeah, that's true. But like I said, like just coming up with a rating system, your own rating system of like what your values and goals are, maybe for the week, maybe for the month, maybe even for the year, and kind of like reviewing and being like, does that thing really, is that really on my high list of like moving me forward and making me feel good um, about the stuff I'm doing? And if it's not there, then you, that's when you need to know like, okay, I need to step away. I need to say no. And like, I'm not going to feel bad about it because I wouldn't get that much out of that anyways. Okay, so let's say someone who's listening to this podcast has zero idea. They might have heard some stuff in the news regarding um, being, you know, in, uh, somewhat cognizant of what's going on in the environment with, like, climate change and things like yeah. that. So for those who are completely oblivious as to what's going yeah. on, what are three facts that they need to know about environmentalism or what's going on currently in the environment? Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, I can do two serious ones and one that's like kind of funny slash random. But that's cool, whatever okay. you want to do. All right. All right. So number one is that. Well, I guess I already said the parts per million of carbon dioxide. But uh, number one is that like zero waste, like the zero waste movement. I highly recommend you all check out resources there's actually a lot of top instagrammers that are really passionate about zero waste and like there's there's actually some really awesome zero waste people of color who are trying to figure out how to make the zero waste movement 
more accessible. And by zero waste, it means reducing your use of single-use plastic. So, like, let's say you're going to a restaurant and you order takeout and they serve it in the plastic container with, like, the plastic utensils and the plastic bag, um, all that stuff. And, like, you just toss it in the trash can. Well, that stuff goes directly to the landfill. Um, it doesn't really get recycled uh, because, you know, they expect you to have clean, pristine plastic pretty much. And that just goes straight to the landfill. And sometimes when, like, the landfills get overfilled, then some of that trash, like, like definitely plastic, like your plastic straws, your plastic forks, will actually go floating into the gutters, in the streets, into the storm drains, and go out into the ocean. And then the cute little turtles somewhere out there in the ocean will choke on your, you know, your straw, or even, you know, like there's pictures of like, terrible pictures of turtles with straws through their nose, or like, you know, you see those like soda can wrappers, um, those get caught on penguins and, you know, different animals all the time and they end up choking and they end up dying. Um, and not just that, just like we currently have a giant island in the middle of the ocean full of trash. It's called a gyre, G-Y-R-E. And basically imagine like, I, I don't remember the, the number, but it's like, I think it's bigger than Hawaii. I'm not exactly sure. It's pretty huge if you look it up, and it's all garbage, like human waste in the ocean that's just, like, floating on the surface and polluting and killing um, lots of ocean habitat. So that's fact number one. Then fact number two uh, that I really want listeners to know about is just a lot of communities of color and low-income communities are typically the ones uh, that are living by or located by or have to like go to school by a lot of polluting facilities. So basically a lot of low income communities and communities of color um, will face things like asthma and nosebleeds and, um, you know, long bouts of sickness as can be seen in Flint, Flint water crisis that's been mentioned a lot. Um, in the past couple of years, but isn't being talked about that much in the mainstream media um, because they still don't have clean water. And a lot of these communities face higher rates of diabetes, of asthma, of cancer, of a lot of different health ailments because they don't have access, um, you know, to healthy air, to parks, to even grocery stores. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of debates on like, oh, well, they just, like, moved to, like, moved near a polluting facility because um, it was cheap housing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's so many debates about that. But regardless, the communities that tend to live by these polluting facilities are low-income communities and communities of color. And so they're the ones that are disproportionately being impacted by, you know, these factories that are producing, you know, our materials and producing batteries like Exide in Los Angeles and I mean, the list goes on and on. So I just, like, want people to be aware that, like, there are communities across America today that have to live within, like, a 10-mile radius of a very toxic, polluting um, hotspot. 
And that's like one of the biggest like public health issues that should be addressed and prioritized in the US today, but it's not really documented or talked about. And then the third fact is I know that like you might may or may have not have heard about like barbecue Becky on the internet. Yes, I'm, we're familiar. Yeah, yeah, that woman <laughs> is actually a climate change specialist and air quality specialist. And I was just shocked because I was like, wow, someone who's in the environmental field, who's white, who's doing some shady shit. I'm like, I'm not surprised, but like, there you go. So I just like, I want people to be aware that Barbecue Becky is an environmentalist and is a part of the problem. So that's my third fact. Damn, Barbecue Becky is a part of all the problems, apparently. She's a problem at Lady Mary. She's a problem with the environment. It's a walking problem. Yes. Hey, Becky? I forgot her real name. I don't care to know her name. But it's just no, like, like, wow. Like, damn. Okay, well, actually, I'm glad you actually mentioned um, the areas being disproportionately affected because I know in certain cities that I've been in, I have noticed that there are landfills in these areas or they're yeah. not too far away or yeah. um, there's like uh, plants, you know, like packaging plants, power plants. Um, or just kind of manufacturing plants that have a lot of obvious waste, pollution, et cetera, that are in those areas too. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really interesting that you said that. I was I always felt like it wasn't by chance, but I just think it's interesting that you also mentioned that as well. Now also, going back to the whole, you know, I had to look up, what's it called, Geyer, Geyer Island? Yeah, it's like gyre, like I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. I don't even know if I'm right, but... I don't know either for me, but it's in between Hawaii and California. So I already know it's beautiful. I've been to Hawaii before. I used to live there for a couple years. And I lived in California for a few years, but I was like deep off in the desert, you know, military stuff. Right. But, I mean, I remember the ocean, once you kind of get off of the coast and you kind of, you know, fly over it. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. when you get to Hawaii, it's beautiful. It really mm-hmm. bothers me to know that in the beauty of that ocean, there's a whole ass, big ass island <laughs> full of garbage. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, that is, that is so disgusting to me. You just yeah. gonna throw it on an island? Really? <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, yeah. what is, like, what is, what's supposed to be done about that? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it comes down to like how products are being made still. Like, I mean, a lot of products are, are designed as disposable. And I mean, like, a lot of the products are made out of plastic and things that can't be recycled. And I mean, there's definitely companies who are trying to make, um, you know, things that are compostable, like basically boxes or cups or straws where, like, if you toss it, it's just going to go back to the earth. Like, it'll just get eaten by, like, little cre- like creatures or microorganisms. Um But that's why there's this movement that's trying to happen called the zero waste movement, because scientists are already trying to send hella people out there trying to suck up that plastic and figuring out what to do with it. Like there's a lot of people um, that are trying to do that, especially the tiny little pellets, because a lot of plastic ends up becoming these tiny little pellets that you can't even really see, but you hold it up in your hand and it's like a, like a pile of like little tiny like pebbles of plastic and you know all these like critters and birds and everything they think it's food and they eat it and they they end up filling their stomachs full of plastic and trash and they end up getting sick and dying basically um 
So this movement, the zero waste movement, is people trying to, like, just reduce the amount that whether they're, like, you know, getting things to go and, like, using reusable containers. Like, if you are going to get food to go, like, convincing restaurants to try to, like, reduce their plastic and the amount of waste they're producing. And it's a slow-moving movement. And like I said, it's not accessible to everyone yet um, just because not everyone has, like, the time or the resources to cook all their own food and just, like, live out of mason jars. Um, But there's definitely people out there, um, like – Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting names now. But there's if you just go on Instagram and even Google search like zero waste people of color who are trying to like talk about these things in accessible ways. Um, and I'm planning on actually featuring those people on my show soon. Um, you know, you can reduce your plastic footprint. I guess as you could say, because it's carbon footprint. But I guess this is like your plastic footprint. Um, and just to be cognizant that like you know. Could you instead like take like eat something that like for here instead of to go or like could you start using reusable containers or like bring a jar to like a like a smoothie shop and just be like fill this up I don't want your plastic or styrofoam cups and like eventually hopefully convince businesses to shift um, at least in California we have like a plastic bag like tax. Um, now, like, in Berkeley, where I live, like, there's now, like, a pl- plastic straw tax, um, which is, like, the first one in the country, and obviously, like, those things are going to take a long time, and it depends on, like, the political will of people, but I think it's the one movement, or one of the main movements right now, environmental-related, that I think people can actually take action around directly and, like, try to make the lifestyle changes um, to start thinking about that, because, uh, you know, a lot of people promote veganism and stuff as, like, a really good way to be environmental or whatever. Uh, but, again, that is not accessible to everyone either. Um, and that's, like, pretty mainstream. So I also am like, oh, consider plant-based environmental diets to reduce, like, your meat consumption um, since, like, the meat and agriculture industry is, like, hella corrupt too. But I feel like for some people who want to eat their meat or want to just, like, continue on with their lives, um and not change something staple like your diet um i think thinking about your the amount of waste you're producing in your household and being honest with yourself like could i buy towels and just like wash the towels instead of like buying the gigantic packs of napkins or you know like get it buying reusable straws they sell like metal straws in stores and bringing that with you to restaurants um yeah, and obviously these zero-waste blogs and these people that are probably a lot more well-versed in the stuff than I am um, have a lot of tips and tricks on how to do it. And, I mean, you don't have to change your whole lifestyle overnight, but just implementing one or two lifestyle changes, whether it's having a meatless Monday or, you know, trying to reduce your plastic footprint, like I think, you know, just makes you feel like, okay, I'm invested somewhat in this conversation, which is the most important part of this whole thing is just, I want people to feel somewhat invested <laughs> in doing something. That's what you actually read my mind. Cause I was actually going to ask you what were some tips that people could kind of start putting into practice little things. Cause you know, obviously to change your lifestyle is a pretty big thing. So you actually, it's really big. Read my yeah. Mind. yeah. And I think like, I mean, ultimately what I like to tell people too, is that like, 
lifestyle changes, while it's important and while it's good to like feel like I'm living a sustainable lifestyle, I'm doing my part for the planet. Ultimately, we have to think of the bigger picture and like who is polluting and you know, why like currently we're still depending on fossil fuels when there are renewable energy solutions and systems out there that that do exist. And like, we need to be really honest as a country about like the fact that like, we definitely could transition towards that. And yeah, there's barriers and yeah, there's some limitations, but we are so wealthy as a nation. Like there is no reason why we should be relying on these outdated, really, you know, destructive um, practices that are destroying communities um, and destroying the land and destroying the earth and just overall not pushing us in the right direction to prevent things like 410 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So I think people should also get really educated on, you know, what politicians or people that are running for Congress this year, like, are about the climate stuff or their governor or people running and local city government, et cetera, like, start reading up on, like, you know, what is my city actually doing about climate change? Like, what are they actually doing to, you know, try to make us, you know, resilient and actually preparing for this stuff? And also just, like, you know, who am I voting for? Who am I putting my money towards um, and giving my tax money, you know, that I hard-earned, my hard-earned cash towards um, and running this country? And, you know, if if those people are not supporting, you know, clean energy and, you know, environmental solutions that do already exist and exist for all of us to move forward towards, like, a climate resilient future, then, like, I think, you know, whatever in your capacity you can do, whether writing a letter, making a phone call, or just telling your friends or family, like, hey, I don't think you should be voting for that person, or do you know about this policy, or have you heard about this thing? And you know, just taking a short amount of time to, like, kind of do your research about that is so, so important because ultimately, you know, we can make these lifestyle changes, but unless the policies at the top that are, like, you know, regulating these polluting corporations or, you know, stopping extractive mining and drilling and, you know, destroying land, water resources, like, we're not pushing against that then like you know having a meatless monday is not going to do that much tbh so i i am always a, a huge advocate for people to get political as much as they feel comfortable have those uncomfortable conversations um because yeah like ultimately the earth's gonna be fine we need to save ourselves like that's the main issue. And yeah, I believe that humans have the innovation, um, you know, the innovative capabilities and the, the intuition to, to make things right. But I mean, as we saw like last year with all these natural disasters escalating one after another across the world, like things are happening at such an unusual abnormal state that scientists are so alarmed uh that they're like why is no one care like paying attention and talking about this like like well who cares about you know any of this other stuff that's happening like we need to be like thinking about how are we going to survive as a species and you know although we're probably going to come up with solutions and fight till our last dying breath like you know we got to be thinking about our future generations and if you're out there 
trying to plan on having a kid, like, that's your goal. Like, if you're not having any kids, okay, I get it. Don't listen to me. But, like, you know, if you're planning on having kids, you care about your family, you just care about the future generations that you can't even see yet, if your heart's in that, then I think it's worth investing some time in, you know, doing your part in learning and educating yourself and people in your community. If you have access and you're able to do that, do that. Um, because otherwise, you know, then like, otherwise, the otherwise. So that's, that's just my big call to people. Don't just rely on you know, oh, those, like, hippie people are going to, like, save us, you know, <laughs> like, no, all of us need to save each other, we need to be in community, um, we need to hold space for each other, and we need to come together to deal with this really impending crisis. I totally agree with you, and I know for me, um, this, I know it, it's all fun in games, I guess, or it's not really that big of a deal until it hits home. I know for me, my father's family's in the Virgin Islands, and I know with Irma, and Maria tearing that island up as well as Puerto Rico, as well as other parts of the Caribbean. I just yeah. know how serious um, it is um, and how even though it's not really happening in your backyard, doesn't mean that it can ultimately affect you in some way, mm -hmm. shape, or form. So I totally feel you on that. Quick question, mm -hmm. though. I have to ask this for the sake of my inner conspiracy theorist, because <laughs> we all have a little bit of that in there. Do you think that the weather is being controlled by the government? Or by an outside do I, entity? Do I think the weather is being controlled by outside entities? I think that, I mean, that question could be stretched to being like, well, technically, I mean, due to the greenhouse effects um, and how heat's being trapped because of the excess amount of carbon dioxide that's being released in the atmosphere, which has been proven by scientists as connected to human-driven causes, I don't, like, technically, and if you connected that back to being like, oh, well, go the government is not regulating, like, a lot of these polluting industries and not doing much about, you know, like, doing much about, like, the carbon dioxide emissions that are going at into the atmosphere, then technically you could say that the government is changing weather because they're not doing much about, <laughs> about you know, creating effective policy change that is going to reduce those emissions and get us back to normal States. So, I mean, it's a stretch, but technically, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, like, support that directly as, like, a statement um, because there's a lot of layers to it. But I would say, like, yeah, I would say that it has been scientifically proven that the reason why we have so much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which is the driving cause of climate change, is connected to human related causes or anthropogenic um causes what is your view on the spiritual connection between us and the earth hmm, i love that question i would say that our spiritual connection between us and the earth i think has to go back to our ancestors so for me Whenever I'm in nature and I'm really, like, getting into it, <laughs> you know, there's, like, this concept of, like, forest bathing where you're just sitting in a forest for hours and just, like, soaking it all in, soaking in the good energy. And 
for me, when I'm in those spaces, I feel like everything just kind of becomes clear to me where I just feel this like inner strength and like clarity. And I think that, you know, for me, I connect that back to my ancestors over thousands of years who have like passed along that energy. Um, And sometimes when I'm full of so much self-doubt and experience super bad anxiety and mental health issues, you know, I go to a forest or I go to somewhere that I know will provide me peace, which is typically, you know, in the trees. And suddenly, you know, I just spend like 10, maybe even 20 minutes and I'm instantly at peace. Uh, it has never failed me to be in nature and to not feel like everything just comes back to me at once. And I feel like the spiritual connection that a lot of us could have um, with the earth, if possible, is reconnecting with our inner nature and like who we really are. I believe that, you know, getting to be in the outdoors you know, whatever that means to you, whether that's like just sitting under your favorite tree at a park or being able to like have the privilege to go on a backpacking trip or a hiking trip somewhere or even going to the ocean, whatever is your landscape. I think just having your feet touch something that was not man-made but was like created before humans even existed or, you know, has grown and blossomed on its own if a man you know, or a woman or whatever, um, like planted the tree or whatever, regardless, you know, it has its own characteristics and its own life outside of, you know, human touch. And it kind of just keeps existing without us even, you know, doing anything. And sometimes I'll go to like these redwood trees that are like 100, 200, 300 years old. And I'm like, wow, this tree has outlived so many generations of people and families and mindsets and cultures. And I'm like, you know, it just reminds you of like how fickle, you know, time is and how we have the opportunity to change the hearts and minds of people to really care about what really matters to them. And I feel like if people just had the ability to spend some time with that aspect of themselves and really reconnecting to the earth in a meaningful way that matters to them, I think they would give a bit of, I give a bigger damn about, you know, what's happening right now. Um, Because until you have that connection or that deep spiritual understanding of what, you know, this planet is constantly giving to us without us, you know, really giving much in return, um, you know, that's like the way in which you're able to start feeling invested. And that's just been the experience that I've heard from other people. That's been my own experience. And I think that if you're looking for healing, if you're looking for really finding yourself or whatever, like I think you need to start with getting out of your own head, getting out into nature and like being there, being vulnerable and just being honest with, you know, humans are not doing the best for the planet right now, but we could do better. And, you know, what can I do to try to be invested in that? 
I'm so glad that you mentioned the ancestors and the connection because I literally did an episode last week at the beach. Because like I was saying before, my father's side of the family is from the Virgin Islands. So mm-hmm. I went there for memorial service and I was interviewing at all the beaches I went to. And I was explaining on the episode that it's something about beaches. I love nature in general, but it's something about beaches that I love even more. It's something more mm. special than anything else. And mm. it's, you know, a beach is a beach. But when I get yeah. to a California beach, I get a certain feeling. But if I go to a mm. Virgin Island beach, mm. it's a whole other mm. situation. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like I can feel, it's hard to explain. Because granted, mm. I have the blood mm-hmm. of my ancestors in my veins. But it's almost like mm-hmm. I feel a different life force energy in my body mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. mine. And usually I end up crying or releasing. And it's like, it's, it's not like I just come to the beach and I'm like, oh, I'm about to cry. It's just, it just happens. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. almost like the ancestors are like welcoming me back home like hey you're here we're mm-hmm, glad you're here you know mm-hmm. what I mean or hey mm-hmm. we got you you know give us what you've been carrying mm-hmm, you know so it's mm-hmm. almost like I don't know it's just been I, I totally when you said that I was like yes exactly <laughs> and yeah. I do think you're right I think when people don't um understand the relate or even have a relationship it's easy not yeah. to care about something when it when you don't connect so mm-hmm. I think that was a really sound good advice. Like that was really good. <laughs> that was really good. So ultimately, what do you want to do with Brown Girl Green? Because it sounds like you have so many yeah. ideas in your head, and you have I so do. many things you want to accomplish. I do. Yeah, I mean, I've thought about this a lot, and I've had a lot of conversations. And to be completely honest, like I'm at the very beginning of my journey, and. I still don't exactly know what my ultimate goal with it is, except to be a vessel of storytelling around climate change and hopefully, you know, get people from, you know, different areas, different walks of life who, like, are into podcasts and social media and media series and, like, you know, can access my show in whatever platform or medium possible and, like, get something out of it and have at least one conversation with someone else about what I'm talking about or challenge me and have a dialogue, debate me, like have this, you know, ongoing conversation about like what we as a society at large should be doing about this. And like, so I think my ultimate goal is to right now, at least is have a platform where like, people feel comfortable enough to express their like true opinions about this, um, you know, without feeling alienated, without feeling like they're being attacked for like whatever they identify as like having a space where they can debate or they can converse or they can laugh or they can cry about like, you know, why, why this issue seems so divisive and like when it should be uniting us all especially with everything going on right now around the world, like you would think this would be the one issue out of all of them that humans could come together about and like have constructive, meaningful, you know, timely conversations about, and it's not happening. And so I just want to be a vessel. I want to be a part of contributing towards moving that tick a little bit forward in any way possible. I know that I am just one person and there needs to be a lot more, you know, people out there. There has to be more brown girl greens and, you know, you know, black, black boy greens and, you know, anyone. I feel like there just needs to be more people who are storytellers around climate, 
Um, and I just hope that like somehow, some way I'm able to like be a part of the movement that's trying to do that, uh, to make a substantial change and to like push politicians ultimately to make the changes necessary to change our trajectory. So there's a lot of change in there, but I want change maker. I am a change maker. And I think that's just like where I see Brown Girl Green going. And that's like the direction I want to take it in. And I'm not sure, you know, how much of that I'll be able to achieve or, you know, if it's going to change in the next year or so on like who I'm interviewing or the direction I'm taking it in. But I think the principle of the matter is, is that I'm having these conversations now and they're going to get people's attention somehow. Um, and I think that's just really exciting for me because it, it's exactly what I want and desire. Well, you know what I think with that level of passion and enthusiasm, I mean, who's out here asking to debate about anything, let alone about <laughs> having a, using the debate to provide a constructive, productive conversation. I think you're yeah. going to go very far with Brown Girl Green. And when when are you launching your podcast? Do you have like a time frame? Not trying to put you on the spot, but just ah, in case you have Yeah, one. no, I'm I mean I'm planning on launching it in June because I wanted to do some sort of like Brown Girl Green, um, you know, countdown to my birthday, like <laughs> supporting yeah. my creative process. Uh, so it will be my my goal right now, I'm I'm crunching it out really hard right now, is to release it. For sure this summer, hopefully in June. Um, but yeah, very soon. I already have episodes recorded and everything, so it doesn't matter me like getting it out there. So yeah. It'll be happening soon sooner than later for sure. Okay. Well, whenever you do launch, let me know so I can I will. spread the word about it, okay? Because by the time I think this goes live, it'll be in June. Because right now we're what, Oh perfect, getting... perfect. Yeah, so by then it'll at least be past June first. Okay, perfect. Okay, yeah, no, that would be, be perfect. So as soon as you get a date, just let me know, okay? All right, I will. Now, is there anything else that you want the world to know about Chrissy or Brown Girl Green? Yeah, if you think that environmentalism is really inaccessible and doesn't make much sense to you and you just frankly don't care about it, I just, like, really would love to hear from you anyways. Um, you know, on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, uh, I'm even on Facebook, and I just want to hear from people, like, especially people who disagree with me, um, to, you know, face me up and have a conversation. I'm really looking for people from, like, all different demographics, people across the political spectrum to talk to about this issue, and yeah, so... Basically, my main call to action is, you know, follow me on Instagram at Brown Girl Green, Brown Girl underscore Green. Um, same on Twitter um, or check out my Facebook page. And yeah, just like contact me. I really am about building personal relationships, especially as I'm starting this off. And I just really want as much feedback and input from people as possible. So please feel free to reach out to me. That is good. All right, y'all. You have heard it here from Christy Drummond, otherwise known as Brown Girl Green. And that was this week's episode with Christy from Brown Girl Green. I hope you guys enjoyed it. You can find me at spiritualhomegirl.com, also Instagram at uh, spiritualhomegirl, as well as Make Peace with the Day, and Facebook and YouTube at spiritualhomegirl. 
I always, <laughs> I noticed at the end of my episodes for the past, like, six weeks, I've always been like, I'm really excited about what's, ab- what's about to happen or what's to come. Because I am. Uh, the full moon of Sagittarius was about two or three days ago. And it was something about this moon that really, um, I don't know if it was just, I don't know. It was, it was a lot of energy moving on this day. And it was a lot of boundary testing. And not necessarily in a bad way. Not saying somebody tried me like a free sample. That's not what happened. But it was more of a pushing myself to a lot of limits that I had previously set for myself or kind of, you know, kind of assumed that I couldn't really um, handle or I didn't want to handle, per se. And it's really been cool to see that even now, at this point in the journey, I can still push myself. Also, I went and got my kit. I had a little kit of aromatherapy oils for Make Peace with the Day, but I have a full kit. Now I have about 30 oils, so I basically, like, doubled my a little over double my uh collection of oils and i'm so excited oh man i'm so now that i'm really excited about i have one custom blend request for someone um i normally want to make therapeutic blends but i'm going to try my uh, hand at some other blends as well for some other ailments now i have my own things but i never really had an intention of making that public like i have a blend for like pain relief and that i use as well as um cramping you know for menstrual cycles that i use so I don't want to be a person telling you that something is going to cure you of something because everybody's different. Everyone has different um, different histories and different ailments that, you know, may affect the oils or may not. But um, one thing we all have in common is a mind-body connection when it comes to the therapeutic uh, property of oils. And that's what I wanted to explore because it's more universal. But every time I try to not do something, I end up kind of easing towards it anyway. So I am going to Again, do some private blends for some people that have specifically requested it, some loved ones. So we're going to see if it works. And if it does, I'll let you guys know. But I am super juiced. I love essential oils. For those who um, are curious about them, I highly recommend you guys get some good quality oils. And maybe a diffuser and just kind of try it out. Put a couple of, well, follow your instructions so you don't break your diffuser. Because some essential oils, if you put too much in a diffuser, it can um, clog it or break it. Or affect the uh, affect it from working properly, but you know, put some drops of a good essential oil in and just vibe out. Like it's oh, it's amazing. It's I love essential oils, and I think this is something that I really want to continue to study, and um and see how it can help myself and others. So um yeah, shout out to Roz from the Heal Center Atlanta. That's the class. People were asking me where did you take your class from. I took it was supposed to be about six week sixteen week class, but I think it was closer to five months. At least it felt like it was closer to five months, if I remember correctly. I took it at Hill Center Atlanta with Roz. It was a hands-on class. It was a 50-hour uh, foundational course, and I do plan on supplementing that knowledge with more training and more classes as time goes on um, forever. And it was really cool. It was, like I said, extremely hands-on, lots of tests um, to make sure that you're not out here just, you know, not knowing what you're doing. And um, I think I probably smelt what felt like 100, 150 oils, like it was a lot, literally, I mean, and on top of blending too, we made a lot of blends in class, so that was a lot of fun, and I have a great network of classmates um, that are really cool, like one woman, she owns a business, and she has a warehouse out here in the city, and she also does incense, for those who have come to my events, you've probably seen her incense in my giveaway packs. She makes some of the best incense I've ever, ever smelled. And the cool thing is that it's made here in the United States. 
Um, I remember her telling me once, and I thought it was an interesting practice about how it all goes. When you get incense, most of it is shipped by boat, and it takes about 40 days. So by the time it gets here, the smell is already not as fresh. And I remember initially hearing it and being like, oh, word, you know? And then once I actually smelled her blends, I realized it's a, it's a difference. It's a true difference. It's a sharper, a sharper scent. And I was like, wow. So she makes her own um, her own hand-rolled incense and oils and sprays, and she makes a lot of stuff. So I'm really um, excited to support my classmates outside of, um, you know, the classroom. And is there anything else going on? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Homegirl Meetup is on Sunday, June 3rd. This is something that is specifically only for those who signed up for the email list. So if you want to get in where you fit in, sign up for the email mailing list at spiritualhomegirl.com. I will give you the details on Friday as to where the event will be. Um, I already sent those out for those who followed me already. I sent that out Monday of this week. So by, I'll send another one for those who are late to the game on Friday and uh, pull up. I wonder if I should do a couple of homegirl meetups like that where it's just email only. Maybe. Who knows? I just don't want to be dependent on social media to to get through to y'all. I really don't. I mean, think about a lot of our accounts. If we shut down Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook today, how are we going to be able to stay in touch? So um, for me, I don't want Instagram dictating my reach or my ability to create a community of people that I really want to kick it with and hang with. Like I said in my last episode, my tribe. So I don't want to have Instagram dictate how I can reach them. I want to be able to reach them, you know, and want them to reach me whenever it's necessary. So... Uh, sign up for the email list if you want to do that. And we're also going to do another um, me and miniature yogi, Dre, my girl, Dre, personal trainer, um, yoga teacher. She and I are going to do a pop-up fitness event on June 9th or June 10th. I think we're going to do the, the 10th. Yeah, June 10th, I think, is the is the actual day. That's a Sunday. So stay tuned for that. Again, more details to come um, when you sign up for that mailing list. But, yeah, that's about it. I just wanted to check in with y'all and let y'all know what we got going on for June. California, I'm on the way in a couple of weeks. Maybe three weeks. Three weeks, yeah. I'll be out there for a couple of weeks. I'll definitely be at the Veggie Connection June 30th. That's in Rancho Cucamonga, California. I'm really excited about that. I got some things we're going to tighten up with my folks and my tribe out there. Um, I'll be doing a meetup very soon. Once I get the details confirmed on that, I will let y'all know. But uh, that's it, y'all. This has been another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl. My name is Maria. And remember, trust the journey and trust yourself. Peace.